Well, can we say amen? The joy of the Lord is here in this place. The King of Kings and the Lord of Lords is amongst us, and He wants to move in this place today. We want to welcome you to Community Church. If this is your first time or this is your home church, we invite you to come and worship our King of Kings together today. Well, today we're here to worship our God. And there's a scripture in John 14, 21, and it says this, Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by the Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. How many of you want the Lord to show himself to you? I think that's all of us, right? We want him to show himself to us. And the word of God says this, that if we choose to draw close to him, he will... He will draw close to us. So this morning as we come into worship, let's purposely make a decision to follow after our God. Let's choose this morning to worship Him with all of our hearts because the promise is as we do that, that He will draw close to us as well. So Father God, this morning as we come into the house of God, we say you are Lord, you are King, you are worthy of our worship. We choose to give you all praise We say thank you and amen for all of the giftings you've given us, for the love you give us. Father, you are worthy of your worship. So this morning we choose to worship you in Jesus' name. So let's worship him this morning. Yeah, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. And the purpose of giving his son is give us an opportunity to walk with God again. When Adam and Eve sinned, there was a separation between man and God. And Jesus came with the good news, the gospel. It's the good news. It's man can be reconciled. The indivisible divide has been breached. You can have a connection with God again. The love of God takes away all of our impurity pays for our sin, opens up a door. Father, I pray today that if anyone here does not know your love, God, that you would supernaturally penetrate to the deepest part of our being. You know, the Bible says that he is the desire of all nations. He is literally the desire. But we don't know it until we finally do. And we awaken to what we always really needed, what we always really wanted, the Father's love. And I want to encourage you, if you don't know God, I want you to call out to Him. And I don't want to take you into a formula, but it starts with just, I want you and I need you. I want you and I need you. And those of you that believe, pull on the love of God. Pull on the atmosphere of heaven. Praise God. God is so good, eh? I, you know, I didn't, I didn't hear, hear a full... Yeah. Yeah. Well, you think, well, you know, why do you always need to whoop us up? Your, your declaration, your faith materializes the kingdom of God. Not, not just what you think inside, but what you say. And so that's why worship is so powerful. The reason worship is so powerful 
is there's a great more number of us saying what is true. You know, that song we sang today, Waymaker, right? Uh, We're declaring the name of God. We're declaring uh, the nature of God. We're declaring the essence of God. And what happens is the room starts to fill with the knowledge of God because when you actually make a declaration in faith, there's literally a spiritual substance that's being released. And that spiritual substance is the knowledge of God. And, uh, and, the, and what, we, what we have as a promise is that knowledge of God, that is the cornerstone of how you got born again, you came into an awareness of the knowledge of God, but one day the knowledge of God is going to fill, permeate the atmosphere of every nation, every social setting, every building, every structure, it's going to cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. And so, so obvious will the truth of it be. Will it, 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 will, it, will, it will be so strong, so, so much higher than any other knowledge that it will literally cause every other knowledge to be seen for what it is, nothing. And in that time, every knee will bow and every tongue confess. Why? Because the knowledge of God is supreme in its ability to convince. Man, we could talk a lot about that. And so the way that God is, I get a big echo up here. Maybe it's coming from the stage. I don't know. But uh, what's happening is when you speak something that's true, you're actually releasing that substance. So the question becomes, this is part of the trajectory of our, our walk. How much can I affect the atmosphere around me? How much, when I'm saying it, is, am I saying information? Is it raw data? Is it, is it a memory of my emotional experience of when I first touched the love of God? Or is it the actual substance of the life of God that's being manifested? Evangelism is not passing along philosophical information that can, to convince people that our way of looking at uh, religions is more correct than others. That is not what it is. That may be what you're doing. There may be a transference of information, but it's not via the information. It's via a commodity known as the life of God. And so we are not peddlers of information. We are conveyors and manifestors of a life. And so that's why what you say matters. What you say. How you were born again is you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth. It's not a done deal until you confess with your mouth. And then the more you confess it, the more you say it to others, the more real it becomes. Why? Because you are materializing an invisible realm through the spoken word, which is consistent with the nature of our Father because He created the worlds by not thinking about it, not imagining what it ought to look like. Well, that happened. For sure it happened. But it wasn't done until He spoke it. And when he spoke it, it came into being. Everything that comes into being from the spiritual realm is spoken. And as the sons and daughters of God, you are being trained in the nature and the ways of the kingdom of heaven. And it begins with believing in your heart and speaking. It's not enough for us to sit and give assent, even nod your head. That's great. I'm glad you, I'm glad you believe like what the song says. But until you actually say it, you don't affect your world. You affect your world when you say it. That's why the world is run and owned by those who speak. You know what? The business world, it's not run by the guy who has the best ideas, but the guy that can speak them. 
and bring them into, into this world through conveying them. That's why salespeople make so much money. Because they have an ability to speak, to, to, to create realities. False or true, right? But that's their ability, and they speak. Speaking is the cornerstone of all success. But that's why what you say and what we say collectively is important. Now, I'm going to talk about a couple of things today, but I'm going to take my time. <laughs> I, uh, yeah. I'm holding back. You know, when we start, first started worshiping, I began to see something. And this is, uh, and I'm, I'm hesitating. I, he- I didn't come up because I'm trying to do what Chris suggested. You know, I don't want to bombard you with all kinds of different angles of things, you know, during the worship, right? Which is great. But I just, I keep seeing the macro picture of what the kingdom of God is really about. Now, in your life, the minutia of our lives are detail-oriented. What you think, what you feel, how you get through your days. And that's what occupy a lot of our lives. But, but the, the, the idea is that we have to fit into a greater picture. And the, and the, the further we can leave the minutia of the little things and see the big things, the more we can have direction for our, true, our lives in general. And so, uh, for example, in the business world, part of the, 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 the responsibility, the role of senior leadership of a company is to tr- always be trimming the fat. And trimming the fat is always, part of it is always, okay, this thing that you're doing is not as important as this thing. Right? If we're making grommets and selling grommets, then making grommets and selling grommets is the most important thing. And so, well, do you not have a, a personnel department? Is the culture of the company not important? All of those things are factors, but in as much as they take away energy from the core thing that we're called to do, they can be a distraction. Similarly to us, so many things going on in churches, so many things we're passionate about. You know, so many things that we do on the way to serving God and worshiping God, and, but all of them can pull away from the central thing. What is it that this is really about at the end of the day? What is, when God is thinking about where we're going, what he wants to do, what is he thinking about? And how is what I'm thinking about connected to what he's thinking about, or is it? Am I holding it in the same, am I holding his stuff with the same priority I hold my stuff? And if I don't, I need to start letting go of certain things. And that's the alignment that's happening. And so this morning as we began to worship, I began to see, and I remember a prophetic word that Mike Danforth gave us some years ago, and he had this, this vision. He was up in the, in the heavens, and he saw, and I, I can't remember all the details, but he saw the, 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 the masses of the nations. He saw the nations and the people. You know, in, in the Bible, the, the people are often, often represented as seas, you know, and, the, and the, the, the oceans are being tossed by winds. Well, he saw the movement of nations and peoples, and it was like, if I remember correctly, it was like different colors of, you know, millions of people, and they were moving according to the prince of the power of the air in the regions, there was actually, there was actually a, a subjection uh, and a connection between principalities and powers and the masses. The way they thought, 
the way they felt, the way they operated their lives. They were being guided by principalities and powers. And, and it was, what he saw was this movement of just millions and millions of people under the throes, under the, the control, the authority, the influence of principalities and powers. But then he began to see the realm where those principalities and powers operated from begin to be shaken. And as they were shaken, the people under them were also shaken. And I, and I, I began to see that today because, because there, is, there is another force that's operating over and above principalities and powers. And, and there, is a, there is a culture of the kingdom of heaven and it's coming down and it's going to shake everything that can be shaken. And we will not be shaken except in so much as we are connected and aligned with the principalities and powers of this present age. And so God's key objective right now in your life is to disengage us from the influence of principalities and powers. Now, I'm not going to talk any more about that, but this is one of the key objectives. And... Um, I, I want you to say, you know, at least, at least make, a, make a registration in your mind. Make an imprint right now that says, God, I want to be disengaged from principalities and powers. I want to know what the difference between popular culture and actual truth is. I want to, know, I want to see the values of the kingdom of heaven that are going to last for eternity. And I want them to shake every other value that is rooted in either principalities or my own desires. As, you know, and as, that, as that's released in your life, God will do it. God's faithful to do it. Now, I want to talk about something today. I want to talk about, I think I'm calling it a sure foundation. I'm going to, I'm going to delve into some of the, the language that the Apostle Paul used when he was defining. Now, I could talk about the Apostle Peter. I could use the Apostle James or the other apostles. They all had a similar knowledge and, and, you know, they cross over. And when you actually take some of these things, you look at James or some of the other books, you can see that they alluded to some of the same things. But nobody was quite as explicit as Paul when he t- in terms of talking about the structure of the, of the family of God, of the kingdom of God coming down to the earth. But, so I want to talk about this, but I want to go towards the foundation, the foundation. Because everything that is built is built on a foundation. Keep this picture in your mind. When you're going to build a house, what's the first thing you build? Foundation. foundation. Everything rests on a foundation. And um, the implications of that are, however, go beyond the analogy of, of building a house. So I want to start by saying this, that I'm going to use language that are related to certain analogies. But I want you to know that no analogy is universal in its application. Okay? When we use an analogy... We're saying, it's like this. It's not that thing, but it's like that thing. But it's only like that thing in certain ways. So when Jesus shared parables, he said the kingdom of God is like. But he was isolating which part it was like. It wasn't totally like everything. And so that's confusing to people who haven't seen the thing that he's talking about. Because Jesus is saying the kingdom of God is like. So in other words, there's the thing that the kingdom of God is. And then there's a people out here that don't know what the kingdom of God is. So he's trying to convey to them that thing there. But more than that, he's trying to get them to see that thing. See, here's the thing. You can assimilate every, 
Every word that has been spoken, everything. People and the disciples are sitting there and they're listening to Jesus say, okay, the kingdom of God is like this. Okay, all right. It's like, it's like a field. All right, a field. I'm seeing a field. Okay, a field. What's in a field? Okay, dirt, rocks, stone. You know, it's not, but it's not, the kingdom of God is not the field. It's like a field in this way. If you see the kingdom of God, then you'll understand the parable. If you see the kingdom of God, then you understand the way in which he was alluding to the kingdom and the way in which the illustration does not allude to the kingdom, right? So the goal is, I'm pulling you into something, but I want you to see what I see. Can you see what I see? Right? I want to bring you into that, to see what I see. What happens, though, is a lot of people grab the words... And they say, well, it means this, and it means this, and it means this. No, 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 no. It doesn't mean all of those things. It's alluding to something. It means one thing. And, and we're, we're united in our understanding if we see the one thing that all those words were talking about. So what Jesus is trying to do, what the Holy Spirit has been given us to do, is to bring you in to the knowledge of the thing that he spoke about. How badly do you want that? Everything else in our lives is predicated upon seeing the kingdom of God. It's not just the language. It's not, you know, when it says, seek ye first the kingdom of God, and say, oh, yeah, yeah, I need to be good. No! I want you to see something. There's something coming. It's worth everything there is. It's going to overwhelm every power, every culture, every, every thought, every government. Everything is going to be subject to this knowledge that emotes from a person that is God himself, the ancient of days. And there is a knowledge with power, the way that he thinks. And it is the only thing that's going to last forever. And you have an opportunity to align with that. That's Seek you first. The kingdom of God. In other words, desire more than anything to align with the thoughts of God. Let me give you a, a measure and a way in which that's a little bit difficult. So if, you're, if you've got a Bible, 1 Corinthians 3.9. So 1 Corinthians 3.9 says this, You are God's fellow workers. You are God's field. You are God's building. Okay, let's stop right there. <laughs> All right. All right. Uh, can you see the problem here? You know, if at one point, now Paul is saying this all in one breath. You are God's fellow workers. You are God's building. You are God's field. But what if at one point he's speaking to them and says, you are God's fellow workers. Okay, all right, all right, I got it. I, I got the analogy. We're, we're, we're like workers in a company. All right, I, that's good. And we, we're hired, or no, we're, we're just, we're, it's family, because he said it's family as well. So it's family and company workers. All right, I think I'm getting this. I got it, I got it. And then in another sermon, he gets up and he says, you are God's field. Uh, I thought we were workers. I mean, how does the field and workers thing integrate together? In which way are we fields and, and not workers? Like, uh, you know, that's, it's very hard to separate. And then in another sermon, sermon he says, you are God's building. Okay, whoa, 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 wait, wait a minute. What is it? Are we workers or field or building? Yes. <laughs> All of it. Yeah, but... It, now, the, the, the intellectual person that's trying to assimilate these things is trying to, uh, you know, evaluate and make links and create, you know, connections and see, oh, I see how this might work, da, da, da. But it won't work unless you see the thing 
As, the more you see the thing, the more all the different analogies make sense and blend. And if you're just trying to figure it out intellectually using the language, and the implications of different words and different thoughts and the variables that come with, with being a building versus a field versus a worker, you'll never get there. There's always incompatibility that cannot be bridged. Let me, let me throw a complexity even further. There's probably a thousand more illustrations that the apostles could use to say what you are. What, what am I doing? Why am I saying this? Assimilating the text, the information, the data of these things will get you almost nowhere. You need a revelation. We need a revelation. God, what are you talking about? I want to see this. I don't, I don't want to just be, be, be interacting with the surface, the, the surface peripheral, external fabric of, of the thought of God, the knowledge of God, and the you know, that's just being displayed through words and phrases and concepts. I want to see the thing. Then the phrases, the words, and the concepts will magically begin to blend together. So I'm saying that to begin with because we are on an awkward journey towards something that we know in part, we've seen in part, but which is verifiable in full in what it is right now and always has been. Yet our knowledge of it is always going to be incomplete. So, with that sense of the incompleteness of our knowledge, that leaves us a little bit wanting. Because there's an element where, where we're just not going to know, and we're going to have to trust people that appear to know more, but for whom we have no assurances, no complete confidences that they actually see more than we do. See, the problem with not seeing is you always expect that other people only see as much as you see. It's very hard to imagine somebody sees more than you. Very hard, especially if you see a lot. Intellectually, this is true. You know, brilliant people, the reason why brilliant people become so proud is because they're used to seeing more than everybody else. And when you're at the top of your class all the time and you're always seeing more than anybody else, when somebody's saying something you don't know about, you think immediately they're making it up. Because if it were true, I would have seen it. You had that great line I, I, uh, uh, in the show Big Bang Theory, which is not a great Christian show, but it, it does display the hubris of intelligence. And you have this genius guy with an eidetic memory and all the rest of that. I mean, he takes in information. And he says, And he says to his friends, don't you think if I was wrong, I would know it? <laughs> and and that, is, that is the nature of, of seeing something, is, is you don't know what you don't see. And it's never as real as what you see. And so when somebody comes and starts talking about something that's beyond you, they're either making it up or they see something you don't see. So the first question is, how do I know the difference? How do I know the difference? Well, this is not really the theme of my sermon today, but, but let me throw this out there. Biblically, when spiritual leaders were being set apart by God, like Moses or, or Joshua, okay, there was... There was evidences that God was setting them apart in some way. And that's what you want to start to look for. 
okay? Even Jesus, when he was a young child, says Jesus grew in favor with both God and men, all right? Both God and men. So, you know, the lone prophet who's, who's out there in the wilderness today and saying, I have the truth. If only you understood what I understand. Well, well, but nobody's following you. You're an apostle? You say you're an a prophet? You're a prophet? What, what, you've got what? How many followers? You've got a home group with five people in it? And you're a global apostle? Yeah, well, you know, because the way is narrow. Yeah, you keep singing that song. Even if the way is narrow, Jesus was still, he had a great following. He had, he, there was some, th- something about him that caused people to gravitate to where he was. And I mean, it was multiples of thousands. So the idea that, you know, the, yeah, well, I don't have to have the approval of men, right? Because I'm a prophet and me and God are so tight. Well, that's not biblical. Because whenever somebody's anointed and called of God, there is always a people, you may not know their call of God, but there will be people that you will recognize and whose opinions you value, whose spiritual stature is evident to you, they, through their connection with that person, will, will at some level begin to communicate that there's something of value there. Now, that's not a universal proof because everybody's fallible, but the point is this, is that there's always... There, it's, it's always obvious on a number of levels that God is with somebody and, and that, that men who love God are also with them. All right? So that doesn't get you all the way there. Doesn't get you all the way there. But it begins to get you to the place where, well, maybe I won't completely write that person off because what they're saying is not what I presently understand. I'll leave it open, the possibility that they might be saying something I don't see. I hesitate telling this story again, but these are my stories. This is, this is the story of how I came into these things. And so, as such, it's part of my testimony. and will always make its way back here because they're watershed moments for me. When I was awakened to certain things that I want us all to be awakened with increasingly. And it was this. Because I'm not really the most brilliant man in the world. At least Jim keeps telling me that. But, but I, prophetically, my revelatory gifts have always set me ahead of the curve. And so I was always the guy who was explaining scripture and revelation and the kingdom of God to others. And, um, and so I was like the brilliant scientist in the sense that, you know, well, who knows more than me? And so I thought that I knew a lot, and I thought, really, well... If I didn't know it, I would know I didn't know it. Until one day, through a series of frustrating years, where I was trying to move ahead in something, I was walking with Pastor Gideon, my pastor, and, and though he affirmed my gifts, my calling, and everything else, I still felt like I was coming up to a ceiling and I couldn't get past it. And I, and I began to grow in this conviction that whatever it was I couldn't get past in my development, in my ministry, in my authority in the kingdom of God was something that was quite specific, that he knew what it was, and that he knew what it would take to break it. 
That's to say, submitting myself to somebody else who's, who, who appears to know something I don't know is very hard. That's why the Bible says, lean not on your own understanding. Because the hardest thing to do is lean on an understanding that is not yours. Why? Because your understanding is safe. That's why we live the way we live. We live in a world that we understand. And when, and when, when, when our world starts to shrink and we're retreating from the world through fear and uncertainty and all kinds of things, it's because we've, the limits of what we understand, what we can control, what, what is safe for us is decreasing. But the way of the kingdom is to go into unapproachable light. See, God dwells in unapproachable light. And you know the problem with unapproachable light? It's not approachable. Furthermore, when you're coming out of the darkness into greater light, what's the first, what happens? You get blinded. You can't look into greater light. Now, physically, we have a way to to quickly uh, adjust to that. But spiritually, that adjustment of looking into greater light can take months and years. It's easier to just say, yeah, that's for kooks. Well, that's... Oh, that's those Pentecostals speaking in tongues and all that stuff. Oh, that's, oh, that's just the intercessors. Yeah, we don't know what they're about. <laughs> I mean, it's just easy to diminish the significance of what you don't understand because it's convenient. And then you can stay with what you presently know. But what God does is he starts training you by virtue of showing you people who are more freer than you, who are more powerful than you, who are more, more effective than you, they keep coming across your path as though God were saying, follow the breadcrumbs. Come on. If, if healthy people keep coming from that direction, maybe go in that direction. Yeah, but I, I don't know where they're coming from. Good. If you want to know more tomorrow than you did today, go into what you don't know. Right? I mean, on one level, it's so simple. So simple. But it's still, it's still there's a, there's a, a built-in problem. And it is, how do I cope with the insecurity? How do I not be deceived? Because the Bible's full of warnings about people who are deceiving you and liars and you know, what are false apostles and false prophets and, you know, uh, and, and uh, another gospel, blah, 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 blah. And on it goes, like, well, you throw yourself at the mercy of God. Here, here's a, and that's a whole other sermon. But let me, let me just lay some things out here. I'm going to read from 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Because I, I want to solidify this thing in our lives that there is a mystery beyond what we comprehend right now. And God is inviting us into the mystery. But the, the price of admission is humility. Well, why humility? Because it takes humility to walk on water, to do something. You're not sure if it works. You might look foolish. That previously in your life, you've written off as fanatical, crazy, unstable, spiritual gobbledygook that's unsubstantiated, either in scripture or in experience. You know, and that's the way we, that's the way we protect ourselves from, from truths we're not comfortable with presently. So... 
The question is, you know, is there any evidence that this was the experience of the early church? Is it possible, well, you see, if it's true for us today, it must have been true for Paul in Paul's day and the believing community in his day. So was it true? Was there really a class of people who seemed to understand more? Always. Always. So 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 7. I'm gonna, there's a long amount of scripture here, so I'm, I might read it all. I might stop occasionally, have a sandwich. He says in verse 7, But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery. Hmm. The hidden wisdom, which God ordained before the ages for our glory, which none of the rulers of this age knew. For had they known, they would, have, would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, I has not seen nor ear heard, nor entered into the heart of man the things which God prepared for those who love him. But God has revealed them through his spirit. Oh, good news. For the spirit searches all things, yea, the deep things of God. Let's pause there for a second. So Paul starts out saying, listen, there are things hidden, and um, they're so hidden that the rulers of this age, now he could be talking two ways. He could be talking about the physical world, the Romans, the, the, the leaders of the Jewish world, that they didn't understand who Jesus was. They didn't know who he was. Therefore, had they known, they wouldn't have crucified him. But I think it's a, there's a dual thing there because it's equally true the other way. What about principalities and powers? If they had had a glimpse into the mystery of God, if they had known that killing Jesus would not further their cause, but would set back their cause, they wouldn't have, you know, voted for this either. Right? When, when in the Garden of Gethsemane, when the principalities and powers through the, of the whole world converged on that garden and moved the nations at that, that time, the Romans and the Jews, to lift Jesus up and crucify him, if they had known that would mean the utter destruction of their kingdom, they never would have done it. So this mystery was hid both from natural government and from spiritual principalities and powers, spiritual darkness, right? So, so we see that's what he's saying. That's great. There's hidden knowledge. And he said, but he, then he starts to move into the promise. I has not seen nor heard nor entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. So these things God has prepared for us. So, you know, he's hid it from them, and we know that other scripture, right? The things I've hidden from the wise, but I've shown it to babes, right? Which in itself is, is very challenging, right? Because, okay, how do, the, how, do, how do the foolish get it if we, wise men can't see it? Not through the mind. Not through deduction, not through intelligence. All these things are, are there to, to handicap your trust in anything other than the power of the Holy Spirit to reveal realities to you. So he keeps going and he says, he says and this is, this is the thing that's so great, he says, for this, uh, but God has revealed them to us by his Spirit. Woo! So, and I heard people quote this all the time. No, no, no. No, we know the mystery now because God has revealed them to us. We're Christians. We're the same. Me and Apostle Paul. 
Where he's a Christian, I'm a Christian. I now know the mystery behind the crucifixion of Christ. Is that really what he's saying? Is he saying now we're on the same level playing field, that the mystery of God is equally known to every one of us? Not even close. Seemingly, we don't fully... It's hard to enter into. It's, it's really hard. And I, uh, let me back up for a second. This is not just an old challenge for me. It continues to be a challenge for me today. All right? In the same way it's going to be a challenge for you, it's a challenge for me. Because when I look at, let me, let me back up, let me give you this illustration. When I was playing hockey as a young kid, first year I was playing, I was best friends with the captain of our team. He was a really good hockey player. It was my first year. I knew I wasn't quite as good as him, but I thought we were really close. All right. And he was a great encourager, so he'd always say nice things to me. Truth is, all I could do was hit. I'd run around there like a little dynamo, well, skate around, and I'd be barely skate, but I would just lay the body into people. And, and that's all I did. But my idea, so when we were talking, it's like, well, who's the best? I mean, after you, who's the best on the team? I, I couldn't, I didn't have the gall to say, I think I'm the second best. But I believed it. I believed I was the second best. Yet, all the other evidences demonstrate that the coach didn't think so. Or the people picking players for the rep team. Or, or, or. But you know what? They all have another agenda. So I can dismiss... <laughs> I can dismiss their opinions. But again, you know, even with that gray area, the experience of life, the fact that you weren't on the first line, the fact that you weren't picked for the, you know, you, you don't get out there as much as the others. You don't get picked for the all-star team. You don't, I mean, it just goes on and on. But, you know, if you really want to, you can dismiss all of the information. And believe that the whole world is in a darkened state of abysmal ignorance. Save me. So, so Paul is saying that there is a revealing of the mystery. He said, but it's not all equally shared. So let me read some of the rest of this. For the Spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. For what man knows the things of a man except the man, the spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, no one knows... The deep things of God is really what he's intimating, but he just says the things of God, except the Spirit of God. Now we have received, not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might know the things being freely given to us by God. Well, there you go, there's the proof. You know, I, the deep things of God are in God's Spirit, and I'm born again, so I'm one Spirit with God's Spirit. Therefore, I have equal access to all these things. Hmm. Equal access? Does that mean current equal access or current opportunity for access? You can read a million books if you had time to read a million books, but the question is, have you or do you? Right? I mean, availability versus actually doing it, actually entering into something is quite different. So, so he's not necessarily saying to us that, okay, we're all the same. So he goes on, he says, these, these things we also speak, not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But the man, natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. 
But he who is spiritual judges all things. Yet he himself is rightly judged by no one. Oh, now he's starting to define the divide. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. So right there, if you stop right there, you, you think, okay, Paul is basically saying that there's two types of people in the world, those that know and those that don't know. Clearly, I'm amongst, I'm amongst those who know. He's not saying that. He's saying, listen, there's a, gradual, there's a gradual incline into the revelation of the kingdom of God. And God actually has created an order of authority by showing some things to some and less to others. I remember when I was first walking with David Demian, I mean, uh, I, I kept being humbled by him because I, I, I prided myself, well, this is my identity. It's like, I see things, I see things. But when I got with him and we started seeking the Lord, I was like be a thousand-piece puzzle. You know, and you're waiting on the Lord and you're trying to say, okay, this piece I think goes here and this piece I think goes there. And I've got like four pieces in place and then he's describing the whole the whole puzzle. And God did that again and again and again and again. Now, I had enough pieces to know that where what he was describing, that my couple of pieces I got in fit, which told me he wasn't guessing. Right. <laughs> but I'm thinking, how does he see that that fast? How does he... I mean, these are deep things. Uh, you know, I mean, how, how does... What? This is so not fair. Oh, it's fair when you do it. But not fair when others do it. And what God did through that is my reluctant my reluctance to say somebody sees more than me began to be laid down. And here's the mystery, yeah, the, the the deep thing. In my heart, all right, the inability to submit to another spiritual authority, to trust them, to to allow really important influences on my life because, because I was coming from a fear base. I was coming from a, a place where I was insecure. I was coming from a place where I trusted what I thought, what I believed, what I saw. Coming out of that required that I started, you know what, he might see more than me. Man, it makes me so uncomfortable. That means I got to believe him even I don't, when he's saying things, even if I don't have the assurance that what he's saying is right. And at first, God said, look at how many times he's right about things that you know in part. And now he's talking about things you know nothing about. And, the cha- and what you want to do is write them off. But can you, Mark, can you see me in him? Can you see me in this? Can you see, do you see my fingerprints on this that are God? Let me tell you, this is a hard road for me. Really hard for me. But as I've as I've begun to do that in my life. And, it, and it's increasing, right? Because, and it's not like just these super apostles have something more than me. Sometimes my wife has more than me. You want to talk about humbling. <laughs> She's way cleverer than, than I knew. Better looking, too. Uh, but, but there is wisdom to be found. And see, here's the net effect of this, and I'm going to go back to my scriptures. The net effect of this is to open my eyes to wisdom not seen to me, not just in super apostles, but all over the place. What, it, what it's done is opened up a whole, a whole realm of realization. There are shutters in my life 
and that the body provides revelation. But what I've learned in the meantime is what revelation feels like. So when it's coming from another part of the body I don't expect it from, or it's a kind of revelation I don't know about that I'm not so set against it. You hear what I'm saying? And the reason why, let me, let me say this, the reason why God is giving me more authority in his, in his, with his children and in the body of Christ globally and in Canada is because I'm coming out of the narrowness of my own, my own life. When I come here on a Sunday morning and we're going into something, or we're worshiping, I don't come from, you know, me when I think, oh, that guy, you know, to lead, you must know everything. No, you don't. Actually, the more I lead things, the more I realize I don't know what I'm doing. And to make this fly, there's, there's knowledge beyond me that must come. So I'm, I'm looking today at the body, at revelation, at, at life. And it, it doesn't mean anything, anything anybody says to me is I'm going to say, oh, that's God, because I know what revelation feels like. But what I do know is I don't know. So every service, I'm looking, where's that, where's that line of gold? Where's that? Where's it going to come from? Is it coming from a song? Is somebody going to share a scripture? I have some inkling of some things in my own heart, but I, I need, I'm not sure. So I'm waiting. Look, I'm looking for confirmations. I'm looking for visions. I'm wait, looking for dreams. I'm looking for words. I'm looking for, what is the body saying? If you think that I get to do what I want because I'm the leader, you're mistaken. I'm the leader because I stop doing what I want. That's the way the kingdom of God works. I wish I'd understood that 20 years ago. I'd be a lot further today. So let's look at this dichotomy here between these two groups of people that Paul is saying, you know, who really is in the one and who really is in the other? They say, so he says, we, we have a spirit of revelation. We have a connection. The mystery is being revealed. And everybody says, oh, yeah, all right. And, and I hear people quote the last little line of this, this second chapter. But we have the mind of Christ. What are you talking about? We have the mind of Christ. When you quote it that way, you're saying expressly the opposite of what he was saying. Because what he was saying is we is not universally everybody who's born again. But he's talking to people who are dull who are spiritually uneducated, who don't see but think they see, and he's saying, listen, there's a clarity in the mystery of God that we, the apostolic team, and it was him and Luke and the ones that traveled with them, he was the father of this house. They were straying off and trying to do their own thing because of an arrogance, because now they had the Holy Spirit. Now they were gifted. Now they were operating in revelation. So they, Paul, who's that? We don't even need him anymore because we are amazing. That's what he's dealing with. And so he's actually setting them up for a massive rebuke. Yes, God has called you. Yes, you have his spirit. Yes, you're born again. Yes, you're one spirit with him. But don't imagine that means we're all the same. That's leading you into darkness, isolation, independence. And so he goes on in the beginning of chapter 3 with his real intention. As you remember, he's... He's looking back at a body of people who are walking in a particular way that, that, that says, man, you're, you're not walking as you ought to be as a church. You're misusing the gifts of the Spirit. You have no love. You're dishonoring the body. You, you have no regard for one another. And some of you have died because of that. And some of you are sick because of your dishonor of the body. Never mind just recognizing me. You don't even recognize one another. 
Yeah, one, well, we don't like the teachers. Yeah, well, we don't like the intercessors. Well, we don't like the prophetic people. Well, we don't like pastors. They're, they're so spineless. I mean, this is the kind of stuff that was going on all the time. So he says to them, and I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual people. Now, reminder, where, would, where did we just come from? We came from this. But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. But he who is spiritual judges all things, yet he himself is rightly judged by no one. That's what he was... That's what he, so when he says to them, I could not speak to you as spiritual people, he says, you're born again, you operate in the gifts of the Spirit, you're behind no other church in these things, but... Could not speak to you as spiritual people, but as to carnal, as to babes in Christ. I fed you with milk and not solid food, for until now you were not able to receive it. And even now, you're, not, you're still not able, for you are carnal. For there's envy and strife. Let me, let me pause, slow down. For where there is envy and strife and divisions among you, are you not carnal? And behaving like mere men. So is he putting everybody under a universal class that we all have equal insight into the mystery of God? Or is he saying there's a plethora of levels and insights, each of them proven through godliness and humility and connection to God that's where there's favor from God and favor from men. Why, why are we saying this? Because we are coming to a cataclysmic place of unity. A, catech, a place where the body of Christ universally has never been before. But the same, the exact same things that led to division back in the Corinthian church are the things that lead to them right now. And they can be summarized by this one thing. I believe myself. I trust my revelation. I believe that the things I'm excited about are the most important things. And I will die on my issue, on my mountain, saying this is the most important. And what he's saying, listen, and I I can't get into it all. There's a whole raft of other things after this. But he said, listen, God has appointed apostles and prophets, and he's given them an insight into the schematics of what he's building. And so later on, he says, he says, listen, I as the master builder, I've seen the plans, I've laid foundations, now you guys are building on it. Be careful, my goodness, be careful what you're building. You are building right now with division, with strife, with envy, with pride, and you're not going to build something that's all going to overcome the world. Rather, the inverse is happening. He said, you're a great charismatic church, your worship is through the roof. But man, the secret envy and pride in you that's that's vaunting and exalting itself against your brothers in dishonor, that, that dynamic itself should tell you this is not proceed from above, but from below. But God has created a system of honor, of acknowledgement, of love, that is the proof that you are, you are spiritual. Our journey is out of independence. Our journey is, we are like that cornered little beaver or rodent you might find. I remember my dad, there's a badger or something like that got caught in the window well of our house. And my dad, he came out with a big bat and he was going to kill it. That thing was like, 
I didn't have that heart. But that thing was cornered and was fearful. And it's like, it, it, you know, even if it's not going to discern your lack of intention to, to hurt it, it only knows fear. It only knows self-preservation. It lashes out blindly. Carnality only knows fear. Insecurity, independence, isolation, disconnection. It lashes out. Everything that's threatening, everything that's... Any authority, any, any, any liaisons is, is, compromises my, the integrity of my trust of myself alone. I, will, I cannot be one. I will not be one because I don't trust you. God is calling a company of people right now and he's dealing with that in the earth on a scale. He's pouring out a grace for us to come into a union with him and by virtue of with him, with one another. That's going to astound the world. It's going to astound the world. So I'm going to close there. And so what do we do now? It's a journey. Thank God. I don't want to take however many years I got left. If you're 20, I don't want to take 50, 60. If you're 40, I don't want it to take 40. Is there a grace available, God, that you could quickly do this in my life? I want to do what I'm called to do, but I don't want to do it through dishonor of the rest of the body. And particularly, apostles and prophets which are the foundation of the church. They see things in the foundation of the church that are necessary, that everything else is built upon. There is a, there is a revelation there. And God is distinguishing those voices between what were, are verifiable, trustworthy, and what are lone prophets in the wilderness thinking the world's going to gather around them. And they got their two or three followers there's something real that God is building. We're asking God for light. We're asking God, Lord, I don't want to be like the early Corinthian church, priding myself, well, you know, I prophesy too. This is not a, just a New Testament thing, right? Remember? I mean, Moses' own sister, Miriam, rose up against him. Because why? Because I, I prophesy too. I have prophetic. What are, you, what are you saying? We don't know God? What are you saying here? That's what Miriam said, because Miriam was a, she was a prophet. You remember what happened to her? Yes, you are a prophetess, Miriam. Yes, you know things. But there is an order to the kingdom of God, and you want to find out what that order is. You don't want to be blindly lashing, creating your own subculture. There is a kingdom culture. There is a kingdom order. There is a spiritual government from heaven. It is coming down to the earth. It is, it is coming from amongst us because God is working in and through us. I tell you, if we could get this, the explosion of glory, the explosion of glory that could come to a community like this will be unfathomable. 80, 90%, maybe even 100% salvations in a region. What's coming is churches so full, we're going to have to throw up buildings. 
Back in about 1930s or whatever it was, uh, I can't remember the, the prophet's name, the healing revival, they built a barn on the place that is now where we have the, uh, the Battle for Canada, which is now, yeah, the expo. But what was it called before? Lake? 12,000 people, that barn. They threw it up quickly because there's no, no buildings big enough to hold the people. A massive wave. There are not near enough buildings in this community to hold the people that could get saved if we would do what we're called to do. Their salvation, their salvation, you may think, oh yeah, but it's about their choices and their ignorance. And if they stand before the Lord one day, it will be about that. But right now, it's about how much light there is in our community. Are we being the manifestation of the kingdom of God that we could be? Do we love as we can love? Are we giving ourselves? Do we honor one another? Is there secret envy, strife, resentment against one another? Are these things still in our midst? Because they're the things that are blocking the glory. The glory is coming. He's going to have a people. It may as well be us. He's chosen you for such a time as this because he wants to do this in your life. Um, I want to address the, the, what Mark was sharing. Just, it was piercing me very, very strongly because it's exactly what the Lord's been showing me in the last month. Um, just so much exact the same. And, but so much of it has to do with do we hear it in the spirit and do we respond to it? Three weeks ago, or a month ago, there was a small earthquake in Guatemala, and, and uh, it affected just one little group of people, one little village. And we went, we went to help them out. And there was a, a moment there, it was 200 people or so that were affected. But there was a moment after we were there helping them and doing some things, a window of he- heaven opened up. I could see it, I could feel it so clearly and it was, it was for them. It was for this moment. But it was, it was the time. It was the time right now. Respond. I shared just a few minutes to these people the salvation message of Christ that he wants now. But very much the same response. We had about 35, 40 people, most of them Canadians, uh, were with us. And it was the same scenario. A few came ready to respond to the people. But the majority stayed back. This isn't a rebuke. This is, this is a Canadian thing. We have a tendency to say, well, um, who am I to respond to this? You are the children of God. And you have the Spirit of God. The very message Mark to- told about. And, and I had to stop. I had to stop right there because is the Spirit of the Lord saying, you're going to miss this opportunity Unless you get the, the, the message to the people. And I say, guys, smarten up. Listen, majority of you are staying back there, but these are the ones who need Christ. What are you doing back there when you're supposed to be here? And when, when, I, when I did that, they came forward. And when I said, who wants to receive Jesus? In unison, my wife can testify to this. In one voice, all of them yelled out, we all want Jesus at one time instant it would have been had the people not responded that would not have happened that was a window that opened 
Mark is now talking about the heavens opening to this community. Let us respond in, in kind. And that means we all in one accord say, yes, we respond. But it's not about us. It's about them who need the Christ. Do you get that? And we cannot miss this opportunity because these opportunities, they come. And if we do not respond to it, it closes. When we respond, it remains open. At the very beginning of the service, I talked about bringing the kingdom of God to others. And I asked the question, how much can you manifest the kingdom of God in your workplace? How much of that presence comes with you? And Peter, Peter had so much, just his shadow healed people. There are measures of what we can bring. What if these things that we're, Holy Spirit is isolating today, what if they're, they're the impedances of his glory? There are things that allow conductivity. There are things that allow the presence of God just like electricity that flows through copper wire, through water. It flows through things that don't block it. The presence of God flows when there's nothing to block it. He's saying, listen, I'm, I'm putting my finger on what blocks the conductivity of my Holy Spirit in your life. Because you're the ones that I want to flow through. And we say today, God, we will be the ones. We are saying we will come before you. We will let you flow through our lives. We will be the people. We will be your elect. We will be the spiritual ones. We will be the mature. God, use us. Use us, God. We present ourselves. So, Father God, I pray a blessing upon each person in this church today. Father, for the needs that are represented in this house today, God, that not one would walk out of here feeling missed. That, God, right now you see them, you want to touch them, you want to heal them, you want to restore them. And so, Father, we pray for healing today. We pray for restoration today. We pray for financial breakthrough today. Father, for each one in this room that you would move in their lives and in their hearts. And Father, this week that you would move in us, that you would challenge us to take a step of faith. God, we pray a blessing on each one. And we say you are a good God and we thank you for what you've done in our midst. Can we say amen to that? Amen. Bless you.